0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Fulcrum Radio Show. I'm your host, Damian Piper. The Fulcrum is the University of Ottawa's legendary English newspaper produced on the University of Ottawa campus in downtown Ottawa, the capital city of the north, on the great Turtle Island. Today on the show, we've got an interview with Josh Stafford of the Mayfair Theatre, Hilary Duff, from Action Sandy Hill, City Councilor, Mathieu Fleury, and Peter Gutcha of Wild Sheep of BC. So with no time to waste, let's get started. It's time for headlines. Today, reading headlines, we have the Fulcrum's Editor-in-Chief, Charlie Dutille, and the Fulcrum's Features Editor, Amira Benjamin. Take it away.
1: Thank you, Damien. We start this week with PIVIC, the student-run communion store in the UCU, which has been closed since April 2019. In an interview with the Fulcrum last week, UOSU president Tim Gulliver said the union hopes to open the popular student spot in October. PIVIC business director Nadia Butkhil told the Fulcrum that PIVIC will only be hiring Uvo students for both full and part-time positions. Golliver blamed the length of the a convenience store's closure on the SFUO, the UFO's former student union, which left the UOSU with little to no resources. The union aims to run a profit with PIVIC, all the while offering affordable, healthy options to students.
2: Legal experts are so confounded as to whether a tax court judge is fit to reside at all. After the Tax Court of Canada has prevented Judge David Spiro from presiding over any case that involves anyone of the Islamic faith, Spyro, who is a federally appointed tax judge, was barred from adjudicating cases involving Muslims back in October 2020. Spyro, who is Jewish, was prevented from any involvement with cases pertaining to Muslims because he was connected in allegations of misconduct, trying to influence a hiring decision at the University of Toronto. Valentina Azarova, an international law academic and practitioner based in Berlin, whose work has a strong focus in human rights was the unanimous choice for the position of director of the Faculty of Law's human rights program. David Spiro had a private meeting with the assistant vice president of the university and threatened to recuse himself of any files if any Muslims were hired. Two days later, aroba's job offer had been rescinded by the university.
1: The Graduate Student Association of the University of Ottawa has no plan to reopen Cafe Nostalgica in the near future. However, General Manager Dave Brightonherd made it clear that Nostalgica will be reopening. There is simply no clear timeline. According to the general manager, Nostalgica wrote out the entire pandemic so far on its own funding, and it still has a comfy cushion to delay its reopening. He says the establishment doesn't want to risk contamination or an outbreak because it would look bad on the University of Ottawa.
2: In a press conference on Thursday, leader of the Conservative Party Aaron O'Toole refused to say whether or not he thinks that Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, has handled the pandemic better than the federal government. Throughout the pandemic, O'Toole has publicly praised Kenny over his handling of the COVID-19 health crisis. The two were both cabinet members in the previous Harper government. This week on Wednesday, Kenny held a press conference where he publicly apologized for the way his government handled the pandemic and admitted it was wrong. Declaring a new state of emergency over the public health crisis, Alberta now has over 18,000 active cases, the most out of any province. Currently, 90% of the patients in Alberta's intensive care units are unvaccinated.
1: Finally, the City Folk Festival kicked off on Thursday night. The Fall Festival features an all-Canadian lineup. Headliners include Moist, Our Lady Peace, Charlotte Day Wilson, The Reclaws, and Dean Brody. The three-day festival is being held at Lansdowne Park and will end on September 18th. Blues Fest will take place next weekend. And that's it for this week's headlines. Back to you, Damien. Thank
0: you, Charlie. Thank you, Amira. In recent weeks, the Mayfair Theatre, one of the last single-screen independent cinemas in the country, was listed for sale, unbeknownst to its owners. The Mayfair has heritage status, and after a quick uproar from the community, the listing was taken down. The confusion was simply labeled as a mistake. I met with Josh Stafford, one of the owners of the Mayfair Theatre, and I asked him about what was going on. Thank you very much for meeting with me today, Josh. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Mayfair Theatre?
3: So the Mayfair has, it's a real rarity. It has been a independent single screen cinema since 1932. A lot of people, just because of the way it looks, assumes that it was like a live theater somewhere in there, but uh, it was not. It's always been a cinema, uh, always independent. And here in Ottawa uh, or everywhere, sadly, many, many cinemas have closed down over the past years and couple decades. So, uh, we're really an anomaly, and uh, we're, we're proudly soldiering on still as, as one of the, the last of our kind.
0: And now we've all seen the different articles over the last few weeks. Uh, first it was up for sale, now it's not. Can you tell us what's happening with that?
3: Yeah, so it, it's, it's a weird thing to talk about because we were a little blindsided by it, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, the only way we found out about it at first is because I happened to be visiting this store called Capital Stamp. And for years now, they make all of our little seat tags that we sell off or we have a plaque on the wall for do- donators to, to give us a couple bucks. So I was picking up another round of those little plaques. And he said, oh, I saw that your buildings up for sale. And right away, I just assumed that he looked at 1074, some other street and got mixed up. And I was like, no, no, we're not. And he called me behind his desk and he showed me his computer screen with the listing on there. So then I contacted my partners, they contacted our neighbors, nobody knew anything. And then a couple of days went by and we didn't we didn't put out a release, we didn't do anything. We were just kind of trying to figure stuff out. But then it's funny, social media got a hold of it, and that's when the ball started rolling. And when an old Ottawa South group got a hold of it. Uh, A friend of the Mayfair just sent me a little Facebook message and was like, get ready for media tomorrow, and he was right. (laughs) And so I did, I and my partner Lee did a whole bunch of TV, radio, print interviews, and it gets, you know, you really appreciate it, but you just tiny little bit identify with those superstar actors who have to do 75 interviews in a day and answer all the same questions, you know, but... And we didn't really have a lot of answers. So it was it was a hard thing to to interview about. But in the week or so that has passed. All I can say are the facts that we know. And so we've been told it was an error. It went up by mistake. It was some kind of thing where they were checking out the viability of the listing. They should have sent someone in private and it went up and then the media got a hold of it. So you know, we're not naive and we, we take everything seriously, but sometimes you just gotta go like, okay, well that happened. And on the heels of a crisis, the problem is the next day you're just like, okay, back to work, you know? So it's been a few days, everything's fine. We have had a few meetings. We have a few plans for the future. And all we're telling people is we really appreciate it because it was hilarious. Like it it, it, it wasn't even the worst case scenario. It wasn't like somebody saying, there's a wrecking ball coming on tuesday so even without that people were up in arms ready to go ready to sign petitions ready to do fundraisers and our answer right now is well the place isn't for sale anymore and we've been you know we have a number of months paid in advance and everything's okay so we will see what the future holds it's one of those things where it's kind of like well now we just go back to worrying about now and the future will come and because when you're an independent business, like I have friends who run house of target across the street or own a cupcake shop or own uh, black Scroll books across the street every day is uh, stress, you know, <laughs> like you, you never have enough money. You never have, like, I always joke about that. Like, like even on nights in the before times when we had 300 people, you're always like, well, we could still use more money. So, so anyhow, the long and short of it is things are okay. Now we're kind of getting back to normal. And, uh we'll we'll see what happens but but that's we that's all we know <laughs> so
0: fair enough uh well can you tell me any more about the heritage designation you guys have
3: yeah so that happened so in 2008 i don't know exactly when it got announced but somewhere in 2008 2008 the mayfair was announced to be shutting down and this is before i was involved at all and i was just heartbroken because in my high school years i lived here and this place has such a such a heritage and then a gang got together, the, the people who did save this building, and I was kind of, like, sidestepped to that. Like, I knew a lot of these folks, but I wasn't officially involved yet. So they did it. They got the heritage status and saved the building. And the plan was for this plot of land to be sold to Shoppers Drug Mart. And so that would have been right here. Now, Shoppers Drug Mart is our neighbor about six feet south of us, and we buy popcorn and milk from them. So it's it's strange. But... Uh, so yeah, so it got heritage status. Then the good thing is it got heritage status inside and out. So theoretically, if somebody did want to stick a bunch of coffee shops in here, it'd be very difficult. And heritage status isn't the be-all and end-all. Like there's always a complicated way around it, but it might involve years of court battles and petitions and fighting the public and but everything like the floor beneath us and the the fake. Uh, or the real stained glass windows in the cinema, but they're fake windows, the balconies, the filigree around the screen, the even the the gentlemen and ladies' stained glass windows for the washrooms, all of this stuff is heritage. So you would have to like build around it. Like it wouldn't just be like because I know some places the trick is you gut the place, but you have the shell and that still kind of counts as a heritage thing. So it's a heritage building, and we have been since you know early two thousand nine, And there's a nice plaque outside and, and, um, and that helps because when that strange listing came up, it didn't mention heritage status. So if push had come to shove, we have all that in our corner as well.
0: And can you tell me anything about the programming that you guys have right now?
3: Yeah. I mean, what I've, what I've always loved about our generation of Mayfair programming, uh, when I was in my high school years, it was the double bill era. Um, so it was just, you know, Monty Python, double bill, Hitchcock, double bills, you science know,
0: fiction, yeah, alien feature. and
3: aliens. All yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Rocky horror, all that kind of stuff. Um, so our time now, what we've really evolved into, which I really like, like you look at some of the early, early programs in 2009 and we were bonkers. Like we were just mad with power. It was just like geek, 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 geek. But what we've evolved into, uh, especially right now in these weird, not quite out of COVID times is we show about four movies a week and it's two new movies and two kind of retro classics. So like today, for example, uh, we have a rental in, so that eats up the space of what would have been a a regular movie. Uh, but then our, our six o'clock show is the green Knight, So like a brand new film. And then our nine o'clock show is, uh, Monty Python and now for something completely different. And then in the past few weeks, we've had stuff like, uh, like Carrie or The Shining, um, and then the earlier shows we've we've just had a lot of new stuff because uh, there's still this. It's so strange, but there's either new stuff being produced or stuff that was just kind of sitting on a shelf or like halfway through editing. So for now we've been we've been able to roll along with with a couple of new and sometimes new in quotation still means twenty nineteen. Um, Like, I I believe our Ottawa premiere this week is one called Mrs. Lowry and Son, which is a uh, like an arthouse drama about a uh, a painter, um, Timothy Spall's in it, a big kind of like, you know, um, like a a film fest kind of movie. And it's an Ottawa premiere, but it's from 2019 because it was it should have come out during COVID times. But so I really like that that we balance like we'll have we'll have a, a nice drama that you can go to with grandma and grandpa. And then the late show is some terrifying horror movie, or we'll have some documentary, or we'll have uh, on occasion like a, a, a kids movie, and so a little something for everybody. That's what I really like about the Mayfair programming.
0: Now, what would you say to anybody who uh, used to come here, older patrons that maybe haven't been around and may still feel a little anxious since the pandemic?
3: Yeah, like I, it's totally understandable. Like I, I have friends. Who are in that situation either for health reasons or they just don't quite feel comfortable yet about being in a crowd um and i've said that to one very nice person phoned in and and it's funny because as a business owner you should be like money 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 but i i told them i was like totally understandable you know you wait we'll be here in a few months still uh but for those coming back we've we've gotten nothing but compliments about it's what everybody's doing, but like you walk in the front door and there's some hand sanitizer, there's tape marks on the floor of where to go. Uh, our candy bar has plastic in between the, the, the patron and the employee. And in the cinema itself, we just got caution tape up all over the place. Uh, and it worked really well for us. Uh, the silver lining is that leapfrogging a row or three of our seats is exactly two meters, which is the rule of keeping people away from each other so we have these markings up all over the cinema um i think right now it's like we have room for 140 people but we top out at around 75 80 just because it's very finicky but the rule is you can be up to 50 percent while still keeping those distances from each other so we have a little bit of a sliding scale uh because if if 20 solo people happen to show up that eats up more space if Five groups of five show up. There's more room, so we 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 officially top out at, at we officially top out at 75. But then sometimes at the last minute we can go like, oh yeah, you four people could come in, but you're sitting in the front row or you got to sit up there in the back. And but it, it's it's seemingly very safe. Uh, people are really nice. We 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 haven't had that horror story that you've you've seen on the internet of of you know people coming in and yelling at people. We've been very lucky to have none of that the the most we have is as the credits roll you'll see some somebody stand up and you go oh sir your mask and they they get embarrassed and go oh my god and they put on their mask so and we're just waiting like we don't know what the next step will be we hope we just keep tiptoeing back towards normalcy and then maybe in a couple months they'll say um we've all got our vaccinations uh still try to stay away from each other but but you can take down the caution tape and just everybody keep a seat between each other like who knows what the next step will be, but um, uh, we're just, you know, trying our best as every independent business is during these bizarre times.
0: And is there any last words or anything you'd like to say, to, a message to everyone?
3: Uh, just anybody. We, everybody was so concerned for us during the, the for sale listing that went up. So just be assured that it's not the business for sale. It was the building. And that confusion seems to be taken care of. And, you know, we've we've been doing this for over a dozen years now. So we have experience of applying for grants and getting heritage status and doing all that kind of stuff. So we will continue to do that kind of stuff. And if you want to support us, because there's all kinds of people saying, are you going to do a a Kickstarter or a fundraiser for the time being? Genuinely, the best way to support us is just if you're comfortable to come to movies, do so. Uh, It's very safe here. Buy a popcorn, uh, buy a drink, go see a movie and every dollar helps us. If you have a few more dollars to throw around, we do fun stuff like renting the marquee or we have uh, names available on a plaque in the cinema. Uh, Or we do a lot of private rentals uh, that are extra safe because it's like 10 people watching a movie or a birthday party for some kids or a wedding. We've done a couple of weddings during these COVID times. So there's always a way to support us and just uh, stay tuned to our website and all the social media and any updates we have will be on there.
0: Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me, Josh.
3: No problem. Thank you.
0: In other news, Bessera Park is a small little recreation area in the far east corner of downtown Ottawa, known as the Sandy Hill neighborhood. You might walk through Bessera if you were heading to or from Vanier or while you were walking along the Rideau River. Recently, a local developer had proposed a road opening that would go right through Bessera Park for a new condo building the road opening would have seen the sale of the public park to a private firm primarily to build three parking spaces action Sandy Hill is a community group that organized a protest against the road opening in Besserer Park the Fulcrum staff writer reporter Shaley Shaw and I went to the protest this story starts with action Sandy Hill organizer, Hilary Duff. And no, not the singer, but that's her real name. We also spoke to Glenis Egan from Horizon, Ottawa, and I must absolutely say that you're in for an incredible music experience, courtesy of the great Jerry Galland and the legendary Ronnie Abramson. We even got a word in with the local city councillor in Rideau Vanier, mister Matthew flurry. So with no more adieu, we're about to start with Hilary Duff.
4: I mean, I just really want to emphasize that this is so much more than just an issue in this small park. This is something that's happening across the city, and unless community members come together uh, and and protest and talk about the importance of these spaces, it will continue happening. Um, And actually, one more thing is just... um, you know, I think green spaces like this are really nice for recreational purposes, but what we've learned is that, you know, mature trees are really important for the environment, for carbon sequestration. Parks are important for our physical and our mental well-being, especially during the pandemic. Uh, you know, this is a space where people who don't have backyards can come to walk their dogs or like get a breath, breath of fresh air. So really the benefits that we get from, from parks and public green spaces are just, you know, it's kind of countless countless benefits and so we just, we can't allow those places to be reduced and reduced further to aid with, with private parking, it's just not acceptable. So the goal ultimately of the protest today is to have the city deny this road opening application that would serve the three private parking spaces at the back of this apartment development uh, and that's the same goal of the petition as well. So. Um, that application is currently under review by the city, uh, which means they have the chance to approve it or deny it. Um, and I think it's pretty clear from the turnout that we, uh, that there's a lot of folks here in the neighborhood and outside that want it denied. Do you
5: want us to like introduce ourselves? Yeah, our uh, please. Ronnie, why don't you go, go first? Here, you go first Ronnie. Now She has a recognizable name because she was, she was very, in the 70s, 80s, she was uh, on TV and okay, radio a lot in in uh, Canada.
6: This is Jerry, and I'm Ronnie Abramson, and yeah. uh, you'll see my stuff on on Absolutely. Spotify and stuff. Yeah, and I used to get played on the radio. You're
0: you an old folk singer. Well, I used to well, be. a yeah. singer songwriter. I'm younger yeah. now though. Yeah,
6: yeah. Oh yeah, but, no, singer songwriter. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm. Timeless, a the timeless the <laughs> No, no, I we're we're said, yeah. st- constantly making jokes on that at level. We're uh, going to do our version of. Uh, Joni
7: Mitchell's one of the songs, Big Yellow
5: Taxi, Taxi, which I left out the Big Yellow Taxi verse and I put in a verse written for the park there. Okay, one, two, three. (laughs) Ah, they paved paradise, put up a parking lot. With a pink hotel, a boutique and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go, that you don't know what you got till it's gone. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot.
4: Horizon Ottawa is a municipally focused grassroots organization dedicated to creating a city that genuinely works for everyone, and that includes holding the city accountable to protect the environment. So I'll let Glenis Egan, who's a member of Horizon Ottawa, and also a resident of Sandy Hill, say a few more words on behalf of Horizon.
6: Thanks, and hi, everybody. Um, I won't speak for long, but I just wanted to um, communicate Horizon and my personal support for uh, this action. Um, as a Sandy Hill resident, I understand why this park and all parks are so important. Um, and I just wanted to say a few words about Horizon Ottawa, who, um, as Hillary mentioned, we're a grassroots organization that is trying to fight for a better Ottawa for everybody. And um, a lot of that has been about fighting developer influence at City Hall. Um, and you know, people over profits.
0: And this is Shaylee Shaw talking to Glenis Egan of Horizon Ottawa just after her speech. You've
6: been involved with Horizon Ottawa. Been involved with Horizon Ottawa for about a year. What drew you to come here to this protest and to get Horizon Ottawa involved as well? And what do you feel about what's going on? part? Sure. So, um, I was inspired to come today because I live in Sandy Hill myself, but um, I think the issue of protecting green space uh, and making sure that developer influence in Ottawa is um, not valued over community interests. Is, is a general issue beyond just Sandy Hill. But you know I heard about what's being proposed here today, that we might lose some green space in the neighborhood, which serves as, you know, a lot of the people living in um, apartments around here, it serves as their backyard, it serves as the places to go walk their dogs, like I have mine here with me today. Yeah. Um, and that the idea that that could be um, removed in favor of three private parking spots, um, as the developer wants, is just, unconscionable in my mind, I think we, we need green space for the community, we need it for the um, the environment, you know we're in a climate crisis right now um, and I just think it's really important to come out here and, and let people know at the city and let developers know what we value as a community and it's not parking, it's uh, moving towards greener, more inclusive cities. Definitely, and would you say that this is kind of an issue that has been popping up all around Ottawa? I definitely think so. There's a green space in the South End that um, is really well loved, and I think is being removed for development. Um, we see huge developer influence at City Hall all the time. If you go to Horizon's website, you can see our Follow the Money report, where you can see um, which City Hall councilors are taking money from developers, and you know you can see directly how that transposes onto the geography of our city. So I think it's it's for me it does. You know, it is uh, about Sandy Hill because I live here, but it's also about Ottawa in general. And what would you say are the steps that we can take to prevent that from happening? Well, I mean, there is an election coming next year, so I think getting people involved and excited about municipal politics is um, difficult, but really necessary, I think. Like, we do have the power to vote out this government that is kind of held hostage by a lot of developers or by the sort of Watson Club um, and their close relationships with developers and seemingly endless desire for urban sprawl and you know Horizon is going to be advocating and working towards uh, supporting some progressive candidates. So please feel free to check us out and get involved in in that. Um, We also do a lot of live tweeting city hall meetings, that kind of thing, so you can make, it can hopefully make those things a little bit more accessible and the decision making process more accessible to people so they can understand like what is happening at city hall and how can, you know, hopefully inspire them to stand up and, and fight for what they what matters to them in the city because I think municipal politics often gets kind of ignored and that's you know, we have a voice, we can stand up and say what we what we value and really they work for so us.
5: This is not an optimistic song really, but it's uh take the lesson from it and prevent it from happening. <laughs> and everybody knows that the are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. And everybody knows that the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. And everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich.
0: That's how it goes. Everybody knows. And this is Councillor Matthew Fleury.
8: Let me raise a couple of elements. Did you know that Ward 12, Rideau Vanier, which includes Lower Town, Sandy Hill, and Vanier, per capita as least public green space in all of the city of Ottawa? Did you know that um, obviously as part of the, here in Sandy Hill, as part of the development challenges that we've had, nine local zoning reports that we've had to bring in, We've lost about 50% of trees in rear yards over the last number of years. Over the last 10 years, we've made some progress declaring a climate emergency. Uh, we've made some progress with the uh, the updates on the tree bylaws, but as you've seen, we continue to struggle with this balance on. Yes, there's a housing crisis, but it's it shouldn't be in conflict with uh, the climate the climate uh, the climate emergency that we're in how do we make both of these uh, work hand in hand and we can. Let me address the uh, pending challenge that we have here. So, with the uh, with the work of Action Sandy Hill and the protest today, we've learned earlier this week and we've shared that with Ash, uh, that the applicant is no longer looking for a road reopening. <laughs> I, I wanna raise that as a partial victory, but not as a complete one. Because if you're a neighbor here, if you're a neighbor on Fountain Place, that doesn't stop the envelope that is permitted on on behind me. You
0: well know, well thanks for taking the time to speak no problem. Uh, and I just wanted to know, uh, you, I heard you say that uh, Ottawa Vanier has one of the least amount of green spaces. So
8: you're at the municipal level, so federal and provincially we call it Ottawa Vanier, it's bigger. I'm at municipal level, so it's Rideau Vanier. Lower town, Sandy Hill and Vanier. In the city, out of 23 different wards, we have the lowest uh, green sp- public green spaces uh, of all the city. Yet we have a lot of residents in a dense area. So. We appreciate our parks even more with COVID. We appreciate the trees, which, you know, in this park are pretty mature. Uh, we adore our green space. And unfortunately, you know, these situations where there's development rights nearby cause challenge uh, to the livability and to uh, the as uh, environmental
0: impacts. And so you were saying a partial victory so far. Partial.
8: So they've, they've removed their ass to open this up, but the development risks that back tree wall of seeing a building and how does that interact, do they remove root systems, do they remove trees? So the battle's not done here.
0: Is there anything that you'd like to say to everybody at the Ottawa U community?
8: Hey, well, I I don't know when this comes out, but good to see students back on campus. I, I feel the vibrancy back in the neighborhood and, uh, I, I wish everyone uh, a good term, and as always, I'm the local counselor. I think, from a student point of view, not related to trees uh, or the theme today, but uh, it's important, especially those who are renters in our community, that you know your rights. You know the landlord needs to ensure that your your property is kept, that it's heated, cooled, that you have the right garbage receptacles, and and obviously, our, our my goal as a counselor is to make the community as livable as possible. So I hope that. Uh, that they uh, they're engaged I hope students are engaged uh, with me at the city
0: absolutely thank you so much oh, for thank you. With me. I
8: appreciate it don't
5: pay it Bessera we don't want no parking lot don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. don't pay it Bessera we don't want no parking lot
0: That was a lot of fun. Now, I'd like to take a moment and introduce a segment you can look forward to on this show called Sanjita Says. Sanjita Rashid is our opinions editor at the Fulcrum. She was born in Bangladesh and raised in Thunder Bay, Ontario. It is my pleasure to present the very first segment of Sanjita Says.
9: People fail to realize advocacy as a choice is a privilege. Throughout my childhood, I accepted certain things as universal truths. One, the television schedule never changes. I can count on the fact that after a long day of learning whatever fourth graders learn about, fractions, the American dream, dodgeball, I could hop off the bus, race down the street and land soundly on my couch before 3 p.m. just in time to catch what Phineas and Ferb are up to. Two, Dinner definitely includes Rice. Growing up in a first-generation immigrant home, my parents' biggest fear was I'd wake up one day, forget Bangla, and become their totally Western daughter. I'd demand a pair of Ugg boots and start calling them by their first name. They wouldn't know what to do with me. It was my mother's hopeful belief that Rice would renew my South Asian subscription for the next 24 hours. Three, anytime Asia is mentioned, no matter the room, every head will turn in my direction. I, with only seven months of living in Bangladesh and two South Asian friends under my belt, will be called on to speak on whatever issue is relevant. I like to call it a workplace hazard of being one of the only brown kids in just about every room I've occupied in beautiful Thunder Bay, Ontario. Thus, I began my lifelong social justice journey without much say in it at all. What people fail to realize is that advocacy as a choice is a privilege, Like myself, most members of minorities are forced into it. Perhaps teachers are well-meaning when they do it, or maybe my peers wanted to give me a chance to speak, make room at the table, pass the mic, and shine the spotlight on the minority. Of course, it would be nice if they took the time to do some of their own research and not leave it in the hands of a nine-year-old. Thus, like clockwork, when anything about racialized identities is brought up, everyone looks at me. Growing up, I was a kid just like them. I didn't have time to figure it all out. Even so, there is a feeling of urgency shared by immigrants, racialized groups, and members of minorities as a whole to figure this out on our own. It seemed I'd have to give up a couple of Phineas and Ferb viewings to learn what I had to do as a racialized fourth grader. Like which way to pronounce my own name, the history of colonization, and how to answer where I'm from. In suburbia, I was most people's first diverse encounter. Consequently, I was many people's guinea pig to mess up with. Fortunately for them, and unfortunately for me, the patience of young migrant and minority children is unprecedented. So I would bite my tongue. As a young person of color, there is a fourth truth. Social justice is a waiting game. The other kids didn't know better. They'll learn when they're older. You're asked to be the bigger person when you're barely four feet tall. Even so, it sure is hard to be the bigger person when you're made to feel small. So I played the waiting game. Turns out, it's true. They do learn when they're older, kind of. The same people who questioned why I'd gotten an award at the Catholic school I should have never been enrolled in, who said my name sounded like a taco and made Islamophobic comments sitting next to me in an eighth grade classroom, would go on to post black squares, colorful infographics on their stories and send their thoughts and prayers. There was once a time when another universal truth was that I could open Instagram and find latte art, pictures of dogs, and a post that was a screenshot of a tweet that was originally a Tumblr post. Now the platform is saturated with infographics that almost act as badges. I'm a good person, believe me. And many of them are but many of them post and then turn a blind eye to their racist family members. Such is the performance of activism. Who am I to judge though, right? I should be happy for them, right? They made it out the other side. Good for them. Great. Wonderful. It's just hard not to be frustrated. Once again, it feels like I'm on the playground being asked to be the bigger person. Don't get me wrong. Anyone who has truly recognized their past digressions, made amends and actively chooses advocacy now, I respect greatly. It's incredibly respectable to be able to recognize your mistakes and grow or to reject the ideologies that may have been taught growing up. Other cultures have universal truths too. I do take issue with those who wear social justice warrior as an accessory they can adorn as is convenient to them. This is where we defer the audacity of choice and the inequality of apathy. One may say ignorance is bliss, but I argue ignorance is a privilege, but so is apathy. It is such a privilege for social justice to be objective or impersonal. It does not feel impersonal when in London, Ontario, a Muslim Pakistani family of four, his nine-year-old son went on a walk with his parents and teenage sister only to be left orphaned as a result of the terrorist attack. It does not feel impersonal when my own nine-year-old brother who often takes walk with our parents and his teenage sisters is sobered by the fact that this sounds an awful lot like him how can it feel impersonal when i have to comfort him and say that this was a fluke a one-time occurrence and that he will be fine it isn't an objective event when my mom warns him to be less forthcoming with his muslim identity even while she adorns a hijab It isn't easy to feel detached when you are so intrinsically, irrevocably, attached. But racism isn't a one-time thing. Nor is it a dark, closed chapter in Canadian history. It's the whole history. Right now, as Canada financially supports Israel, and thus supports the genocide of Palestinians, it continues. As Indigenous people are left without clean drinking water, it continues. As Canada Day came and went, and with it the parties and adorning of red and white, I saw it again. Advocacy only when it's convenient, easily digestible, and doesn't disrupt the routine. As Indigenous peoples called for a ceasefire on fireworks, an exchange of red and white for orange, and mourning instead of celebrating genocide, people traded their usual pastel infographics for images of red solo cups, red and white apparel, and apathy. Why isn't orange t-shirt day enough? Why isn't Indigenous Peoples Day enough? Why ruin their day off with uncomfortable culpability? Why can't they wear red and white and light a few fireworks? Because white were the settlers who stole this land. Because red was the blood they spilled as they tried to take the Indian out of the child. Because the booming of fireworks drowns out the voices of Indigenous peoples begging, pleading, demanding justice. Because as some Canadians celebrate 154 years, Indigenous peoples are more focused on a different set of numbers. 215, 751, and the climbing thousands of Indigenous bodies. Because while some are celebrating, others are mourning. Because they shouldn't have to be the bigger peoples while facing genocide and generational trauma. Now, when it is most important, we should be making room at the table passing the microphone, to those with the capacity and willingness to speak, guiding the spotlight to the otherwise silenced. Listen now, support now, be consistent with your advocacy now, not when it is convenient and comfortable. So, if you're on your journey to social justice, I implore you to not wear a badge of advocacy easily removed as you pleased. Please don't abandon the cause as you sit at the dinner table with your old-fashioned aunt, because I can't change my skin colour when she side-eyes me at Walmart the next day. Please don't take off your badge as you let your friends agree to disagree about fundamental human rights because my mom won't take off her hijab when they make comments about her in public later. Please be the change you claim to wish to see. Tattoo your alliance with advocacy and denounce the inequality of apathy and the performativity of activism.
0: Thank you very much, Sanjita. If you've ever spent any time in the Canadian Rockies, you might see some wildlife. Bears, wolves, ravens, there is so much wildlife when you're out in the wilderness. If you're really lucky, you might see mountain goats or any of the varieties of species of wild sheep. Unfortunately, this year, a fly that carries disease that up until now has only ever been seen in the U.S., typically affecting cattle, has now migrated north, and with it, so does the disease it carries. Blue Tongue disease is affecting bighorn sheep throughout the interior of British Columbia. I spoke with Peter Gutcha, a director from Wild Sheep of B.C. I asked him about his organization and the situation going on right now.
10: We basically formed in 1998 uh, after a, a group of conservationists were alarmed at a decline in wild sheep populations in the Fraser River area, and we have just steadily been growing from there. We're currently at about 1,250 members, and last year we had managed to put down $250,000 into projects throughout the province of British Columbia.
0: Can you tell me about Blue
10: Tongue and what's happening right now? Yeah, so I'm no no biologist or veterinarian here, so I've basically learned a bunch about this the last week myself. But blue tongue is it's a virus that's carried by midges or noceums. They pick it up off of an animal and then transfer it to other animals as they're as they're feeding. And so what this virus does is it's, it kind of causes a bunch of internal hemorrhaging uh, on these animals. Typically, there's um, a bunch of swelling in the in the mouth and tongue area, and and the tongue can turn a darker color which is kind of where the common name blue tongue comes from and is this a common occurrence not in canada to the best of my knowledge it's something that is seen a lot more often further south of the border typically between the 30th and 40th parallels for, for the most part but we are starting to see it uh, creep further north over the last 20 years or so
0: and have you found is it affecting ewes more than rams
10: it doesn't seem to matter which sex the, the animal is, it's affecting everything.
0: So do you imagine this is going to hurt the chances for repopulation?
10: Yeah, so the, the Grand Forks herd that, that this is affecting is approximately 230 to 250 animals. We are anticipating at this stage a, a 60 to 80% die-off of that population. And talking with our regional biologists, they, they've kind of told me that if the population can stay above forty animals, then it it should rebound on its own. If it goes below that, we may need to look into doing some augmentation through transplants from other herds.
0: And how significant are these sheep to the biodiversity of the land? I, I mean, everything is is interconnected in nature,
10: but we know everything's linked. And these these sheep, you know, they're living in habitat that's perfect sheep habitat, and there's there's mule deer and elk and white-tailed deer and bear and cougar and a whole host of animals both large and small that live in this area and to lose any, any one species out of that is going to have impacts on the rest of them.
0: Do you know how many lamb these sheep can have in a year?
10: Yeah. So typically each, ewe will have a, have its own lamb, whether they survive the year is a different, a different story altogether. For the most part in wild sheep, we see, you know, if we're, if we're seeing a ideally above 30% at the one year mark, if, if it's 40 plus, then the, then the herd is going to be growing you know pretty good it's not too common to see anything higher than that
0: i know you had some bad forest fires of that way this year has that also affected the
10: herd so we've we've got a, a number of collared animals in different herds we have, we had collared animals in this herd as well and that's what led us to the initial outbreak um, but we've had forest fires go through um, in spots where other herds are and to the best of my knowledge, they don't seem too affected by it. Um, fortunately for sheep, they live in pretty pretty rough terrain, and so uh, they kind of use the cliffs and crags to their advantage, and, and they'll go seek refuge there and let the fire basically blow over them, and then they'll go back out to, to doing what they do normally.
0: And your organization recently purchased some land up in the interior to further conservation efforts. Is that helping at all so far, or do you have a timeline and how
10: things will turn around. Yeah, so we were able to contribute $107,000 to two different properties in right in this Grand Forks area and that was in partnership with the Southern Interior Land Trust. They were they were the purchasers of it and they'll they'll hold it in perpetuity. The main purpose there is just to to keep the habitat wild, you know, prevent motorized vehicle access on there and that kind of thing. And so it, it certainly will will help out, you know, if we can keep the the wild bunchgrass growing there naturally and and avoid invasive weeds taking over, which is what we see uh, oftentimes with motorized vehicle uh, in on that kind of landscape. And so we're, we're confident that that's going to be a, a part of helping out these sheep rebound in the future. Well, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for speaking with me. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: And a news show just wouldn't be a news show without sports. And here to give us a breakdown of what's going on with the GGs, the Fulcrum Sports Editor, Jasmine McKnight.
7: It's almost not fair how good the University of Ottawa rugby teams performed in their home opener this weekend. Both G's teams came out on top and did not allow their opponents to score. The doubleheaders started with the women taking on Sherbrooke in a 70 to nothing showing. Alexandra Ondo and Madison Grant led the team with three tries each. And it was clear that everyone on the field was ready for their first showing in 18 months. Ondo has been a staple to the G's program and will be looking to continue scoring and having fun throughout her sixth and final year on the squad. For the men, a dominant performance over Sherbrooke was led by Elias Hancock who put four tries on the board in their 65-0 game. Both Gigi's teams will be looking to move to 2-0 against tough opponents tomorrow. The women will be back home to take on Laval while the men are heading to Montreal on Sunday to take on Concordia. This week, More Gigi's teams are being added to the mix. The baseball team had their home opener against Carleton on Wednesday night. Unfortunately, the Gigi's did not get a positive result in their return to the pitch and suffered a 11 to one loss. This coming Sunday, the Gigi's football team is kicking off their long awaited season with a 1 p.m. start in Toronto. The team has weapons on both ends of the field, and we are definitely in store for some exciting football. Speaking of football, the absolute most anticipated event of the year, Panda Game, is just around the corner. I really hope you got your tickets because TD Place is going to be absolutely packed with students, alumni, and football fans from both UOttawa and Carleton. Every week is getting more and more exciting for the Gigi's athletics, so make sure you drop in next week to hear all about it.
0: Thank you very much for listening. That's all the time we have. Special thank you to everyone involved in this week's show. Our fearless leader, the editor-in-chief, Charlie Dutille. We also featured our features editor, Amira Benjamin. Superstar reporter, staff writer, Shirley Shaw. No one does a mic drop better than our opinions editor, Sanjita Rashid. And coming at you with sports is Jasmine McKnight. Cannot forget Haley Otten, our multimedia director. Music and sound design by Cameron Rankin. You've been listening to the Fulcrum Radio Show. I'm your host, Damian Piper. See you next week.